Awakened Reality Podcast, JFK Assassination. Okay, here we are. We're back for another episode. Awakened Reality. Awakened Reality Deep History Podcast. Um, last time we kind of rambled a lot. <clears throat> yeah. So we didn't get through. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm running out already. <laughs> running out of voice already. Um, we didn't get through all of JFK and the military. Nope. Um, but we <clears throat> will today, I think. Yep. Um, but first, Bill was oh, yes. nice enough to bring along a new beer. Why don't you introduce it to our... Or viewing audience, Steve. Okay. It is Mountain Ale. Mountain Ale. From the Shed Brewery in Vermont. Yep. Another local beer. Vermont. It's a rugged brown ale. Yes. That's quite good. Oh, seven, <coughs> 7.4% alcohol. I know. This has been a theme. We've been <laughs> drinking, like every time you know, we have these, these podcasts, we've been drinking extremely strong beer every time which probably i don't know what that does to the quality of our content but. well you know we'll find out i mean yeah. you know and, and and you know the good thing is this is really good by the way this is really really good beer yeah it is it's excellent if you're in vermont and you have a chance to get it get it your hands on some of this i would do it yeah. I mean, but there's tons of great beer oh, yeah you know like the i would say that the new england new hampshire vermont you know new hampshire vermont in particular yeah. is one of the best Places for beer in yep. the country. I mean, yeah, there's I think the, everybody everybody does envy Vermont, New Hampshire beer. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few places that are a little more famous, like yeah. probably the Seattle, Washington. Oh, that area is supposed to be super famous. Denver is supposed to be super famous for beer, but I would say New Hampshire, Vermont, might yeah. be like right up there. Oh, yeah. you know, after those areas. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and this is a good beer. This is going to be on, on a really good list. This is going to mm. be on a really good list. This is maybe better than Von Trapp. I would say so. You know. I think the only thing we've had so far that I like better than this is the unearthed. Oh yeah, well, from Magic yeah. Hat, the um, yep. the stout. Uh, that was that's like my favorite beer I've ever yeah. had. This is up there. This is really really good. The six hundred three wasn't bad either. Oh yeah, I like that. To be quite honest, it was excellent. For, it wasn't for, your, for a beer for a beer in a can, it was pretty fruity. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the really good beers right here actually come in cans. I, 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 I you know I can't dig it. I can't dig a beer in a can. Because never uh, could something about beer in a bottle. I don't know. You guys tell us, beer in a can or beer in a bottle, I'll bet you uh-huh. 95% of people like beer better in a bottle. I'd say you're probably right. Yeah. So what do you think about vodka in a can? <laughs> well, gee, I don't know. I mean, as long as it's cold, dude. I mean, I'm not... Uh-huh. Wow. I'm, I've had it. When I was in Russia, you could get vodka in a can out of a vending machine on the street for, for like... And this was in, you know, 90, uh, 96. What? And it was like 50 cents, American dollars at that time. Now everything there is expensive. When was this? What year was this? It was, I guess, 96. And you'd, so, see, and you'd see people on the subway. You'd see, like, you know, like old ladies sipping their, Jesus. <laughs> sipping their can of vodka. You know, I wonder how much that was back when, you know, Kennedy was around. How uh-huh. much it would have been then. If it was only 50 cents in 1990-something... Well, yeah, but the thing is, free. It went well. I don't know, but it went way up and down. Like at at that time, everything was real cheap in in Russia for you know for American dollars. Now, supposedly Moscow's like supposed to be one of the most expensive places. I wonder what the beer was like when Rocky was there. Like you know, when Rocky was training there. Ah, that's true. It was really expensive or something when Rocky was there. What the beer did they have? Well, they probably. Oh yeah. They would have called it piva. That's the Russian word for beer. Oh. Um. But yeah, but he was out. In, he was out in like in Siberia, essentially, right out in the the wintry woods. I don't think it was in Siberia, dude. I really uh-huh. don't. It didn't look like Siberia. Not that I've ever been there, but I, I picture Siberia as being like a you know barren wasteland, and that looked pretty barren. But it was like uh-huh. you know, this didn't give me a Siberian type feeling. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got one of those cans of vodka um, once. I tried it in Subway, but the thing is because. You know, like if you like sometimes when you drink something out of out of an aluminum can and it kind of takes the aluminum flavor with it when you're yeah. drinking. Yeah. Like my parents used to send send us off school with um with pineapple juice and in, in uh, you know those remember those tiny little cans with pineapple juice and you drink it it would taste like a little bit like pineapple juice a little bit like battery acid <laughs> aluminum 
but the vodka was even more like that. It was just like... And it tastes like pineapple? Or did it tastes like... It, <laughs> there was nothing to, to mask the aluminum flavor, is what I'm saying. Well, you know, that's why it was cheap, bro. Yeah. That's I didn't drink cheap. all. I drank about, I don't know, maybe a quarter of it, and then I just set it down on the subway. <laughs> I was like, to some other... I was like, somebody's going to get this in a Russian old lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it was. It was one of their many, many, many homeless people, I'm oh. sure. Which could have been an old lady, I guess, but most, usually it was like a middle-aged guy who would shuffle over there and have a good afternoon for once <laughs> with his can of vodka. So what were we saying about getting off? Uh... So today, so today we're talking about JFK and the mob. Am I right, or just the military and the mob? Well, it depends on how far we get. Okay. At this rate, we'll, we'll still be on the military next podcast. I don't think the military will take long. I think uh, you know what we've talked about uh-huh. already. If you folks haven't been following us, just uh-huh. kind of go over there. And well, actually, if it was if it's going with me on this side, it'll be you on this side mm-hmm. when we videotape it. Okay. So maybe I should go on this side. And look at the or list. above. It's or above. Oh yeah, <laughs> we gotta figure this out. <laughs> anyway, um, so you go to wherever the freaking playlist is, yeah. and you'll find it. The previous yeah. episode. Yeah, and, and so we've talked about you know how you know the military wasn't really liking Kennedy too much because they wanted to keep more of a rein on their control that they had on making decisions. Uh-huh. We were talking about, I think we talked a lot about Vietnam yeah. in the last episode. Yeah. Now, now um, in terms of the military, all we really have left is to talk a little bit about um, JFK's relationship mm-hmm. with some of the um, generals, and uh, generals, mm-hmm. etc. So um, before we get started on this, um, I just as kind of an introduction, um, just before Kennedy became president and uh, only three years before he was assassinated, Eisenhower gave a very famous speech. Yes. Have you heard of this speech? Many times. I think I've seen you, you know, share it on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this speech, he, <clears throat> he warned us that the greatest danger that we faced came from what he termed the military-industrial complex. He was, you know, the first one, I think, to use that term. And what he did is he warned against um, what he called an unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex, and he said there was the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power. Well, you know, it's funny that you should say that. In in a little bit of research into that video, you'll find that that's one of his last, you know, speeches, right? And and it was right near the end of his, um, you know, his presidency. And it was like three days because look, it was yeah. January seventeenth. That's like, isn't that like yeah, three really days close. before? And and you know. It's Maybe funny after. because it's funny because you know he had a hand in the military industrial complex mm-hmm. while he was the president, and I don't really know whether or not he understood it. Was it like a, a an awakening for him, kind of like Kennedy learning mm-hmm. as he went on? Maybe the last thing he did because it's, it's so funny how people say things right before they go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but he had his hand in in the whole thing. Or did he maybe know who the people were in the military, and he, and he knew how dangerous these people were? Well, I think that's. It. I, we'll find out that that was really the case. You know, once we start talking a little bit about what uh, Kennedy was dealing with. Too. Well, yeah, that's what I, I mean. When I because I had heard of this speech, yeah. but then once we started doing this research around kind of what the the primary who the primary general, generals were, what their belief system was, what their approach was, then I'm like, oh man, I completely understand. And you know, go back to what I said before, Steve. Mm-hmm. Seven days. In May, mm-hmm. the movie. Okay, seven days in May. I, I guess think it's either seven or five days in May. But but the the name of the movie has it had Burt Lancaster and uh, the other guy that always plays with him. Uh, uh, the this guy, uh, the guy that has the dimple, the, the older actor. Oh, uh, what was his That's Burt Lancaster, I believe. But then the other guy who always played opposite him. Anyway, okay, it's about the military industrial complex, and it's really funny because it was a movie that was they had to get. Um, they had to get uh, Kennedy to approve. Kennedy actually wanted the guy that wrote the book to do the movie. Oh, so, so this was an early 60s movie. Yeah. Okay, wow, so it was really topical right in that moment. Oh, it was really? When we get to it, mm-hmm. you'll find out. It was amazing. And, I've never and seen it. I'll have to watch that. You really have to. I mean, I, I've got it saved, and I, I've got it saved because it may, be, uh, it may be not allowed for people to see. Oh, really? Because it will, not now. It kind of shunts I think soon, yeah. It, it's it's not out there. I mean, I had to get it in a specific spot. Uh-huh. I can't name. But go ahead. Okay. Um, so, as Kennedy became president, um, he was worried right right off the bat yeah. 
that the Pentagon would overreact to a Soviet provocation and that that overreaction would lead to a nuclear conflict. Yeah. This was, you know, one of his, his biggest um, fears as president mm -hmm. and maybe the biggest fear that he had. Um, and also right from the get-go, there was conflict between Kennedy and um, the military. And really <clears throat> part of the source of the conflict was that Kennedy believed that nuclear war would bring about <coughs> what at the time they called mutually assured destruction. Yep. MAD is what they called it. As in it would be mad to have a nuclear war. <laughs> and generally that's what people think nowadays, you know. But the Joint Chiefs had kind of the, a complete opposite perspective. Mm. They believed that the U.S. could fight a nuclear conflict and win. Not only that, they felt that nuclear conflict was likely, if not inevitable, and they thought if you strike first, yeah, yeah. you have better odds of winning. Yeah. So they really thought that nuclear war was coming, and we can win it, and we better be the first to And you want to know why attack. I bet they probably thought that? Well, it worked so well where? With their uh, hydrogen bomb that mm -hmm. they dropped, right? You mean like with Japan? Yeah. You know, first strike. <laughs> well, in that case, Japan didn't have a, another bomb to send no, back away. It's a slight difference in those <laughs> scenarios. Right. It's not. There's nothing like kicking somebody when they're down. They don't even know how anything's happening. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the source of, of concern. The other um, issue that Kennedy had was that um, he was very concerned that other people or people in the military. Um, or anybody other than him um, have the ability to kind of start a nuclear war without his approval. Mm -hmm. And so um, 10 days, just 10 days after he became president, <clears throat> he learned from his national security advisor, um, McGeorge Bundy, that, quote, and this is um, what um, McGeorge Bundy said, he said that a subordinate commander faced with a substantial Russian military action could start the nuclear, the thermonuclear holocaust on his own initiative. So essentially, yeah. we're not even talking like the head of the yep. the military. We're talking about you know somebody lower down the ranks had the ability at that point in time, not necessarily now, but at that point in time in 1961, you know, could be like, oh, you know what? I may not be a general, <coughs> or I may not be. There's probably a general, but I may not be the top yep. general. Yep. But I sense a, a, a Soviet threat. I'm pressing the nuclear button, yeah. and the president has nothing to do with that decision. Yeah, yep. And it's, it's like it's scary because I mean, what if he has to go to the bathroom? <laughs> That's true. You know, I mean, who, who's in charge then? I mean, if, if this guy the can general, just do it, or, oh, you mean like the, if yeah, the, the general, general has to go to the bathroom, and then something happens. I mean, it, if he's not in the room where the button is, and he's in the bathroom, yeah. I mean, what happens then? I mean, is like the private or somebody like the, the clerk? Kind the of clerk. Thing? Yeah, who pushes the I button? I mean, how scary point? is that? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's uh, um, uh -huh. terrifying. So, I mean, a quote from Roswell Jill Patrick, who was Kennedy's deputy defense secretary, is, we became increasingly horrified over how little positive control the president really had over the use of this great arsenal of nuclear weapons. Yep, yep, so, yep. Well, they didn't like it when he tried to take away their power, too, I believe. No, no, they and, and they pushed back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with every inch of, of their being. But ultimately, who's the head of the military? Yeah, yeah. Who, I mean, who is it? Well, the president. Yeah. So even though they, they were kind of passively passive-aggressively kind of trying to stop him from taking control, he was dogged enough that he made sure he took back control. You know, it's funny. Because there's a lot of movies out there where that they have that little transfer back and forth. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the, the, the argument between the president and, and the military, where the military is always pictured in movies as the, the bad guys, the, one that wanna, the ones that want to go, we need to be the ones that fight! The president's always like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's what actually happened yeah, yeah. here. But it's like that in movies all the time, too. It's the same thing. It's yeah, I mean, have you ever seen the movie um, Dr. Strangelove? Mm, I may have, a long time ago. Oh, an amazing movie. But like you watch that, and there's the, you know there's a famous scene that takes place in the quote war room. They have a war room, and and it's like the the generals are standing there saying you know spewing all this just insane dialogue. Yeah. At least that's <laughs> what I thought at the time. 
But then I read some of this, which we'll get to, and I'm like, whoa, that actually was not... <laughs> that actually was just history. In another movie you guys need to watch, and I'm not even going to tell you the name of the movie, but you need to check the quote if you want to find this movie, because it's a gem of a movie. And it has so much to do with recent events. And when I say recent, within the last 30 years. Uh-huh. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> That's the name of the movie? No. It's a quote from the movie. Okay. Oh, um, War Games. Yeah. I remember that. With Was that Matthew Broderick? Matthew Broderick, when he was a youngin. <laughs> yep. I'm, I think it might have been before he did uh, Ferris Bueller. It was. <laughs> it was, uh, the, I think it came out in 84, War Games. Which Interesting. Is, which is weird. I don't know. I have a weird thing where I remember um, movie years, even though I haven't seen that movie since then. I remember movie years pretty well yeah and if, and if you haven't seen it, it and you're out. into looking at things political mm-hmm. that's a really cool movie to watch <laughs> yeah i remember scared the crap out of yes <laughs> me too because yeah yep. it's like and how was it like what how what do you remember at the end of the movie what the um conclusion was i about? sure do what, but we don't want to give it away okay yeah that's true we've ruined the whole movie yeah. you're much nicer than i am <laughs> um so yeah so um so, this is where I like the ability to edit, because I can edit all of my uh, awkward pauses <laughs> when I'm trying to read <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so, we're talking about the, the, um, the Joint Chiefs, and, and really kind of the, the, the way they looked at it was, they had faced, a, well, they had faced World War II, yep. which had been ended, as you mentioned, very quickly with the nuclear bomb. Ba-boom. But then... They got into the Korean War, and they ultimately faced a stalemate there. Yep. And they were extremely frustrated by that, because they felt that if they had been allowed to use atomic bombs, that they probably would have won. Imagine that. <clears throat> and so, so they were already kind of like um, angry about well, being I mean, held on a leash. Let's be serious. Mm-hmm. In Korea, they probably could have gotten away with it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. What did they have at the time? Well, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, it's true. Could have crushed them just like, you know, World War II. So, so why do you think we didn't do it there? Just, do you think we had some moral... Uh, I mean, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, who was president at the time? I mean, Eisenhower took over in 52, and the Korean War was... When did the Korean War start? Like, essentially 1950? I think so. Is that right? Yeah. So who was the president right before... Um, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, it... it um, I, I don't agree with what happened in World War II mm-hmm. because of the pretense that got them into the war. Mm-hmm. And we aren't talking about that, but we know what that is. <laughs> and we know there's questions about that, too. Oh, you mean about the Pearl Harbor yeah. where we really knew it was coming and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm really not a fan of, of military folks dying for bullshit. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that, it seems it's a pattern mm-hmm. over time. Right well, since yeah. since since World War Two, we have never declared war mm-hmm. on anyone. We've that's, never that's... declared war on anyone. See, so even in the um, you're right, we never de- you're right, we never actually declared never been war. a declaration. Nope. So we didn't declare war in Korea. Nope. We didn't. De- I know we didn't declare war in Vietnam. Nope. Even though, goodness gracious, how what? can you not declare war? It's like we're not at war, but we all, but we do have five hundred fifty thousand or five sorry five hundred twenty thousand people there just kind of doing military exercises yeah. or you know imagine if it was a war <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean how big is the military how many people are in the military at any one time like a million? Oh god i mean it, it, Two million? it's hard to even it's hard to even guess i mean uh-huh. you know you're adding in the active military or the or the military that can be pulled in during a <laughs> uh-huh. that, that used to be not with the military anymore that can be pulled in in case of an emergency well anybody can a be lot of people in, don't right? know about that either but uh-huh. <laughs> You know, I mean, I can't because, well, I've been out too long. Uh-huh. But if you're out, I mean, you can be called back, uh-huh. even if you're not registered and enlisted. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, buddy. Um, <clears throat> so, the the Oops. military brass didn't respect Kennedy. <laughs> they, um, and over time, he grew to not respect them as well. Um, hmm. So... And, and I have a lot of quotes in this, because really what we're trying to show here is just kind of, like we mentioned, the relationship, kind of mm-hmm. what the different thoughts. So, um, the Joint Chiefs Chairman at the time was a man, a general called Lyman Lemnitzer, and he later said of Kennedy, here was a president 
who had no military experience at all. Sort of a patrol boat skipper in World War II. Jeez. I mean, how's that? Like, think about it. Like, I mean, is that, how does that... Because, I mean, Kennedy was a, a veteran, a war hero. Yeah. Somebody put his life on the line. Yep. And that's... To me, that sounds a little unnecessarily derisive. Well, of course. I mean, why do you think he's saying it? Because he knows that, you know, he knows that he's more than that, and he has mm -hmm. to put him down to make himself feel better. Yeah. You could be a general and still act like a child, so. <laughs> well, that's what they say about this guy. I mean, I was reading about him. Um, it says that he's a guy who had, had risen up through the ranks of Eisenhower's World War II staff. He was what's known as a man's man, six feet tall, 200 pounds, bear-like frame, booming voice, deep laugh, not bookish, and not drawn to strategery. I have, I have a guy, no guy at work uses that, that term. Um, so, so he was a guy who was kind of a personality, and he wasn't big on thinking through things. Is that really somebody that you want kind of in charge of the whole military? Well, put it this way. If you're a thinking general, uh -huh. you want your bulldogs in their place. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not saying you, you don't you need those type of people. You can't but. not have your bulldogs in place, but you can't put your bulldogs in charge. Yes, well, this guy was in charge. My point. Other than Kennedy. <laughs> right? I mean, you've got, you know, like uh, Jack Nicholson in uh, A Few Good Men. Yeah, yeah. He was the quintessential guard dog. Yeah. He didn't care. Mm -hmm. He knew what he had to do, and he's going to get it done. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Get it. Um so Kennedy's um, apprehension regarding use, the use of nuclear bombs and nuclear warfare caused Lemnitzer to openly question, he didn't hide this, he openly yeah. questioned Kennedy's qualifications oh. to manage the country's defense. So what you're saying is because of another person's thought on someone's inability and lack of experience to be president, mm -hmm. his thought was he couldn't do a good job as president because of it? Yeah, I think essentially he thought that if Kennedy wasn't willing to use nuclear bombs in in well if if Kennedy I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. He thought that if Kennedy showed any kind of apprehension apprehension, that's the word that I've already mentioned. If Kennedy showed any apprehension at all about using nuclear bombs when they could be helpful to us, that that meant he wasn't qualified. He was temperamentally unfit. Oh. So, an, another one of the Joint Chiefs. Um, <laughs> so, so listen to some of these quotes, okay? And just tell me what you think. So, here is another one of the most influential gen, um, generals. One of the and how many generals are, are in the Joint Chiefs? Like six, eight. I probably should know this, but there's like not that many of them. I think there's only six. Six of them. Okay. So. Um, he was openly opposed to limiting the use of America's um, nuclear um, war, or nuclear bombs. And he said, um, well, so a guy, there was somebody who had done a RAND study at the time that counseled against attacking Soviet cities, you know, with civilians at the immediate outset of a war. And this is what he said to this person. He said, why are you so concerned with saving their lives the whole idea is to kill the bastards. At the end of the war, if there are two Americans and one Russian, we win. Oh. This is one of the six most powerful people in the military who essentially said, if there's only two Americans living, remaining after, every, after the dust settles, and, but there's only one Russian, that means we won and that's all we wanted. Well, I mean, to be quite honest, it still holds true a little bit in the military. That's still how they, they look at it? I mean, you would know better than I would. Well, I mean, you know, to me, if you're, if you're brainwashed with, with blind patriot, patriotism, mm -hmm. you're going to go out there and do your job if you're, if you're actually brainwashed, and you're going to do it mm -hmm. until everybody's dead. They did it in Vietnam, uh -huh. right? They were told if it moves, kill it. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter if it was a kid. You know, so, you know, why do you think people say war is hell? War is hell because, well, people that are in there are making the decisions based on what they think is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so if it means killing everybody, and, you know, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's a show of force, and whoever has, you know, bigger guns and kills more people wins. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, another guy... Um, LeMay, Curtis LeMay. Mm -hmm. I think he was another um, naval general who was one of the, the Joint Chiefs. Um, 
so he believed uh, again that well he kind of came to prominence during World War II. He was the one that he was the principal architect of the the firebombing of, of Japan. You know, or essentially where we just <laughs> firebombed um, city after city after city, just, just you know, killing a bunch of uh, civilians. Which you know, maybe you could <laughs> argue that that was necessary, um, but I don't know. But in any case, he had no. He didn't worry about whether it was. He just thought if we can do it, you know. Well, we it's easy to make decisions like that behind, you know, behind uh, walls and. Yeah, know, yeah. A bunch of troops. And <laughs> um, but uh, but during the Cold War, he was kind of an advocate for launching a preemptive nuclear strike against the Soviet Union, um, and uh, and he he said this about Kennedy, he said. Would things be much worse if Khrushchev were Secretary of Defense? <laughs> and uh, and so the, the the disdain was kind of both ways. And, and uh, um, Sorensen actually said, remember him? He's, he was Kennedy's speechwriter and alter yeah. ego. He called Curtis LeMay, quote, my least favorite human being. Well, you know, I mean, Khrushchev was known as a as a Russian bear. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, he's, a cuddly bear. Well, he seems like the guy. <laughs> he seemed like the guy who wouldn't be afraid to, to make uh -huh. the first strike. So I mean, I get it. That's true. That's true. If you're looking at it militarily, you know, you're saying, well, what's the best counter to somebody who's really aggressive? Mm -hmm. But I mean, I guess you could say, and I mean, I, I probably sound like a, a, a typical, you know, dove when it comes to foreign policy. And so some people may say, well, you, and I'm trying to play devil's advocate no, here. I, yeah. They may say, well, you know, you, you weren't there during the Cold War. You know, we thought that they were going True. to nuke us yep. into oblivion. <clears throat> and so. Yeah. Well, look at, a, look at, a, look at a, how many scared Americans there were when they started talking about that. You know, you need to, well, the guys that made all the money mm -hmm. on, on the bomb shelters that people were building. I mean, and, 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 and people were scared to death. And mm -hmm. they had everybody in America well, brainwashed into mm -hmm. thinking that they have to do this because it's 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 imperative that they do because it's coming. Yeah, but I don't it's think coming because we're going to make the decision, and you're going to need one. <laughs> but do you th I, I honestly don't think you know? it's crazy that people did that because when I look back at this period in history, I'm actually kind of amazed that a nuclear war didn't break out because you had all these generals who wanted to to make it happen. I mean, when you hear about what was going on in in, in the Soviet Union at the time, they yeah. you know they were kind of bonkers over there as well. You know, yeah. it's like I'll tell you what, like if I if I'm living in 1958, and I have the means, I'm thinking about putting in. And I'm saying like, and you don't know that things are going to work out the way that mm -hmm. they ended up working out. I'm thinking of maybe protecting my family and putting something like that in because what are the chances that a nuclear war would have broken out back then? I'd say 50-50 at least. Yeah. I think it's almost it's pretty amazing it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, thank the thank the Mr. JFK. Well, yeah, no, you're right, but you didn't know like in right. 58 you didn't know that somebody like that would Yeah. Um, imagine what if Nixon had uh, had become president. You know, would we have would he have refrained? I mean, maybe he would have. I, I don't know for sure that he would have, but would he have? I don't know. You know, and it's weird because other people, you know, other people say, ah, all he did was really prolong our, our inevitability. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> mm. yeah, it's just not all ending now. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the. Um, oh, well, I'm sorry. Here's one last, um, one last little, kind of nugget to show kind of the dynamic here. So it was the end of April um, 1961, not long after the Bay of Pigs, that the Joint Chiefs recommended that Kennedy um, attempt to blunt kind of the North Vietnamese um, initiative in Laos by launching airstrikes and moving U.S. troops into the country via its two small airports. <laughs> So Kennedy is, you know, listening to them because he's saying like, okay, I can understand kind of where you're going with this, but he has some questions. What if, yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So he says like, okay, well, what, what do we do if after we get in there, um, the communists bomb the airports, you know, after we'd flown in a few thousand men? Isn't that kind of a reasonable kind yeah. of question? Yeah. Well, do you know what their response to that was? Mm -mm. Their response was, well, if they do that, you drop a bomb on Hanoi. <laughs> And then you start using atomic weapons. So, I mean, they were essentially, I mean, it was kind of like they, they were in favor of kind of more, I mean, 
I think the way that they generally looked at things were, you know, do a relatively limited, um, what, what do they call it, um, like an action, relatively limited action, mm -hmm. and then if you get any response in return, nukes, <laughs> nuke the hell out of them. Well, you know, it was a bit barbaric, Steve, uh -huh. but I will say this. They got smarter, uh -huh. right? Because they were like, okay, so maybe it's not in the best interest of America to just blatantly, mm -hmm. you know, just make somebody bomb us. Uh -huh. How about we just make something up? There's an easy way to get mm. in the war. How about we, oh, I don't know, what do we call it? Oh. Uh, Rick, Rick, it, uh, Nixon, what would you think? Well, maybe I'll call it a false flag or something like that. Like, again, the, the Gulf of Tonkin. We were just talking about that in the last episode. What a great way to get in it. And you don't even have to be a mad dog bulldog. So, uh, <laughs> I love this quote from JFK. He said, um, he said, uh, these brass hats. I guess that's what he called the village. <laughs> these brass hats. These brass hats <laughs> have one great advantage. It's not very good. You better do it. I can't do it. <laughs> you, sound like, you sound like Henry Fonda when you talk <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was trying to do Henry Fonda impersonating JFK, <laughs> okay, okay, and I was doing a great job with that. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Well, well, what did he say? Dude? He said, oh. these brass hats have one great advantage. If we do what they want us to do, none of us will be alive later to tell them that they were wrong. He's right. I mean, so. he's right. So... Um, all right, so um, let's talk a little bit about the um, Cuban Missile Crisis. But wait, Steve. Yes. Didn't we already talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis? No, we talked about Bay of Pigs. Ah. Uh, we talked about Vietnam. Ah, uh, okay. But we're going to hit everything because okay. we are thorough. Okay. Let's do it. Um, so, the Missile Crisis. Can you kind of just explain what the Missile Crisis was? I'll eat some popcorn. Russia... Well, Cuba was, is very close to the United States. If either Cuba or any ally of Cuba decided that they wanted to have nuclear capabilities, then the United States would have to say something about that. Mm -hmm. Well, because they're so close. Yep. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they, the Cuba had asked uh, America uh, to kind of protect them, I guess, in a way. Um, you mean like... To help them? The Don't Pass would kind of reached out. Yeah, reached out and, and asked yeah, a little bit. And, and, and we were like, yeah, whatever. Mm. No, you know, you can't have them there. Da, 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 da. We've already talked a little bit about why maybe we weren't very pleased with them. Yeah. We, and We uh, wanted the mob yep. in Havana. And he didn't. Mm -hmm. But we so, didn't like that. Because we would not, well, Cuba decided to go somewhere else. They needed a big friend. They did. And who was the biggest friend other than the United States of America? We have it. Russia. Yeah. So I guess um, Russia was thinking of putting, um, giving Cuba nuclear capabilities. Um, and we caught wind of that. Well, they were, I mean, I think they, they actually sent missiles. Yeah, they did. They sent the missiles over, and we just. Uh, yeah, decided that that really was a bad idea. Yeah, so I think what happened was there was a, um, like a spy plane. Would that, that be a U-2? A U-2, yeah, a U-2. Hmm. Yeah. That, that um, managed to get some pictures of the missiles. They weren't yet operational, mm -hmm. but they were, um, but they were obviously nuclear missiles that, had, that were there, and, and we weren't, you know, very happy about that. Wasn't a U-2 shot down? Yes. Yes, the U-2 was shot down, and actually that will come up later mm -hmm. um, when we're talking about Oswald, mm -hmm. actually, um, because he plays into that amazingly. Yes. You know, what a coincidence, but he actually, he actually, you can't really tell the story of that U-2 wow. being shot down without nope. mentioning Oswald. Yep. Um, what a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So this crisis, um, once we found it, we had to figure out what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And this crisis kind of widened the divide that already existed between Kennedy and the Joint Chiefs. Uh, the Joint Chiefs <coughs> favored a full-scale five-day air cam campaign 
um, against the against Cuba and the missile sites, and then with with a likely follow up invasion of the island. Now let me ask you, Steve. You know, this reminds me of something. Mm-hmm. So, how would you think <clears throat> that you know the the government would let the American people know that this is the reason why we have to worry about Cuba and the missiles that are being, you know, how do they talk to them about it? What do they, you know, do they say, look, we have intel that says, you know, um, that's what they did, right? Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, Kennedy went on and he showed the mm-hmm. black and white mm-hmm. photos and everything, yeah. right? And so what that basically did is, mm-hmm. it, is it gave everybody, oh my God. Yeah, everybody started freaking out. Yeah. It's because that kind of reminds me of, um, oh, I don't know, what's his name, Colin Powell. Yeah, that's true. Who said, and again, I rant. But you're going to find down the line my rants are very, very, very important. When Every single one of them. Colin, well, I don't know. That's <laughs> two of these. But Colin Powell said, yes, Iraq does have weapons of mass destruction. And here's the proof. And here's the proof. But, well, yeah, well, it's not picture proof. But, no, didn't he point? Didn't well, they point to pictures? Well, they did, but the thing is, is, is a lot of people at that time knew that these things could be, you know, mm-hmm. falsified or whatever. But we have intel. Even though Dr. Robert Kelly, or David Kelly, mm-hmm. the uh, UK version of, you know, Mr. Amazing, mm-hmm. uh, that, we could, that went down to do the inspections in Iraq, mm-hmm. who came back and said, there are no weapons of mass destruction, because mm-hmm. he was there. Yeah. Although Tony Blair didn't want to really notice that. And was he more that. was he more of an expert on that than Colin Powell? Oh yeah, I think maybe. Okay. But the thing was is, is see if, if if we listened to them, <laughs> we might not have been able to go to war with Iraq. Mm-hmm. Right? But Colin, then what would have happened to our oil? Yeah, so exactly. Well, oil has nothing to do with it, Steve. That's right. I forgot it was about national security. Yeah, about national, national security. Anyway, remember this conversation for later. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny how just all that shit repeats itself, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> See, when you know more, <laughs> it's like, wow, I've seen that before. Hmm, imagine that. So Kennedy was, um, Kennedy, he, he thought about things a little in a little more, because he actually tried to think a few steps ahead, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully. And so what he was concerned about was, he thought that if we did that, that the Soviets might overrun Berlin Remember, at the time, Berlin mm-hmm. was a, was a divided city. You had, you know, East Berlin, West Berlin, etc. But the Soviets had the capability to easily kind of just overrun it. Yep. And we often thought we were always concerned that they were going to do that. Yep. And so he thought that a likely response to our invading Cuba would be that the Soviet Union would invade Berlin, and then we would have to respond to that. And so he was worried that it would kind of lead that if we invaded. Uh, or did like this massive air attack against Cuba and then invaded, um, that it would kind of lead to a chain reaction that would maybe end in nuclear war. Put it this way, kind of an analogy. Where all the bulldogs in the military were thinking, well, I don't want to wait for the for the turn. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bet everything. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Kennedy was like, yeah. I don't know how many cards are out I mean what what kind of moves is he making in other games what happened see you can't just get out there and make stupid ass moves because you're gonna wind up losing Kennedy was a thinker he was playing chess yeah. and they were playing flip a coin that's it not even checkers not even checkers yep um, and hoping that it came up heads like really hoping <laughs> that it came up heads oh fuck you <laughs> and you know what I mean <laughs> anyway we'll talk about that story another time go ahead Jackass. <laughs> oh. uh, so the, and, and so, you know, JFK, in their mind, you know, he kind of was taking a long time to make up his mind on this, and they were getting more and more frustrated. Curtis LeMay ultimately told JFK because JFK recorded some of these, you know, conversations. He said, "If we don't do anything to Cuba, then they're going to push on Berlin and push real hard because they've got us on the run." <laughs> Um, and so he was essentially saying, like, I, I think they maybe part of it was they just they felt that Kennedy was getting pushed around, mm-hmm. and to them, not getting pushed around was like the biggest worst thing. It's kind of like have you ever seen Back to the Future, like number three or number two, where like Marty McFly ends up 
getting um, like he, he loves playing guitar, but he'll never back down from a challenge. Like if somebody oh. calls him mm-hmm. calls him yellow, yeah. you know, like Biff. Biff, yeah. Somebody ah. calls him yellow, then he has to fight back no matter what, even though if it means he's going to like, you know, get killed in a car accident or something. It's kind of like there's this machismo aspect of, you know, yeah, I understand that this could get us all killed, yep. but we can't back down because then we would be kind of we'll see. Braveheart. Yeah. Um. So. So anyway, Kennedy ultimately. Um, Went with a blockade. And how did that work out in the end, do you think? Was that better than nuclear annihilation? I believe. But, I mean, yeah. Were there really, you know, and in, in the meantime, what when what happened? I mean, you know, the American people now know mm-hmm. that there's missiles. What? I'm sorry? American people then knew that there were missiles, right? Yep. So what happened? Well, the missiles Are they were... still there? No, no, they were sent back. There you go. But how did that happen? Because they don't know. Oh, that. okay, I'm sorry. Um, so what happened was there was ultimately a um, a deal that was made between Kennedy and Khrushchev. Yep. And the deal was that um, we would... We had... And I'm trying to remember the, the specifics. We had some missiles somewhere. I don't remember exactly where. Some There was... Turkey, in, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yep. In Turkey, that they really didn't want. We had recently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. put them there. If we if, stopped that, yeah, if, if we stopped that, then they would remove um, the missiles in yeah. in Cuba. It's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like saying we'll build you a wall if you give us one hundred percent gun control. So it was like a like what Pelosi said. So kind of like a you know uh, yeah. both sides get what they want. Yeah, or get something. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and so it ended up being a really good thing. And actually, the like what happened as a result of this after the missile crisis ended, Kennedy and Khrushchev both realized kind of how close they had come to you know <laughs> flat out nuclear war. And so that was mm-hmm. when they um, created the hotline between the two countries, the famous hotline that you, yep. you've heard heard about a lot. It's like the bat phone. It's, yeah, it's like super cool. Straight to the commissioner. Yeah, and and there's a, some some of the funniest scenes, or maybe the funniest <clears throat> scene I've ever seen in a movie is in Doctor Strange Love, where um, the president, played by my favorite comedic actor Peter Sellers, is talking to the premier on the hotline, and it's just it's just hilarious. <laughs> he starts to sweat and his nose falls off. No, that was a different <laughs> one. That was, <laughs> that was really that was, that was good too. That was uh, that was one of the Pink Panther movies. <laughs> Um, yeah, go watch all. <laughs> when I watched that, oh my god, off the off, like I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> guy killed me. Man. I know because no, that guy's great. Anyway, um, so it worked <clears throat> out really well. Yeah. So here's an interesting anecdote. Oh, I have sunglasses. I know we're kind of going through all of this, but um, maybe I'm going to too much detail. I don't know. Nah. But uh, here's an interesting anecdote about. Um, about Kennedy and again the military and the, the way that they they were try to deal with Kennedy. So in the middle of the the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, Kennedy sent McNamara. Is it Robert McNamara? Is that his name? Yes. Isn't um, he a senator? No, he was. Um, oh, what role did he have? I mean, he was essentially Kennedy's guy to go handle things. Like he sent him to Vietnam. I forget what his specific. Um, title was. Is he the guy that died on the, on, the, on the plane? I think he's still alive. Okay. Because he also served under Nixon. He's a guy, he recently did a documentary called Fog of War. Ooh. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. I'll watch it though. Um, it was a real, it was essentially, it was maybe about six, seven, ten years ago mm-hmm. where he um, did this they, they hit some filmmaker, he allows, you know, interviewer come and sit and they just asked him a bunch of questions about his time working with um, both Kennedy and Nixon. Wow. Because he was really the, one of the, he was one of the main people responsible for our actions in Vietnam. You know, it was probably Nixon, or, a lo- John, well, he worked for Nick, he worked for Nixon, Johnson, and Kennedy. Okay, so he wasn't the guy, though, that staff. was stuffing the, um, the heroin in the dead soldiers' bodies, all right? No, that was somebody else. Okay. Um, but he, in terms of their, he must not have known that was happening because you know 
government made a lot of money on this shit. Well, you never know. I mean, did he know? I mean, I don't know if he knew. I mean, I know somebody knew. Yeah. Somebody in the CIA knew. But um, but he was probably, other than the presidents and Kissinger, he was probably the third most important person in terms of like foreign policy and military decision-making during this time period. But in any case... He wouldn't um, have liked my questions. No. No, he wouldn't have. <laughs> so Kennedy sent McNamara to the Navy's command center in the Pentagon um, right in the middle of the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. And McNamara learned that it had taken hours for some in, for some of the information on Soviet shipments oh, yes. yep. to reach the White House. Yep, yep. So he starts kind of <laughs> taking the, the um, duty officers to task. Yeah. See, this. see, this is why Kennedy needs to be in yeah. charge. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he, he yeah. starts out being like, you know, you need to be relaying this information to us. Yeah. You can't be keeping it to, our, to yourselves. When the admirable, admirable, no, the <laughs> admiral George Anderson, who was the Navy's representative on the Joint Chiefs, entered, and so McNamara then began asking Anderson about oh. what the procedures were for dealing with Soviet ships. If they we ain't gotta talk to you. Run. Okay, yeah, that's essentially what happened. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I mean, you're right. I mean, to, to cut to the chase. Yeah. This guy told McNamara, like, we're, we're handling the blockade. The president can shove it. Uh, we're going to do what we think we need to do. What he said was, we've been doing this ever since the days of John Paul Jones. Yeah. Is that a great quote? <laughs> I like the quote back better. Yeah, and McNamara says, <laughs> I don't give a damn what John Paul Jones would have done. I want to know what you are going to do now. And so Anderson kind of you know, is upset, but he tells him, like, well, we'll shoot across the, the bow of the ship, and if the ship doesn't stop, then they'll disable their rudder. And um, and then Anderson says, this is the, the, the guy from the Navy, says, now, Mr. Secretary, if you and your deputy will go back, if you and your deputy will go back to your office, the Navy will run the blockade. Yeah. So Kind of I mean, like saying, do you sleep well at night, Steve? Mm. Sometimes. You sleep well at night because of what I do. Oh. <laughs> Yet you question the means by which I do it. Mm -hmm. I would just think you would say, thank you very much, and went on your way. Go ahead. Are you saying that you're, you're out, out in the, the bushes in front of my house guarding us? <laughs> <laughs> That's a line from a, a Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. Is that what it's from? Because <laughs> yeah. i got to watch this movie again. I've oh, only seen it once. I loved it when he said it. Because ago. you know what? To be quite honest, mm -hmm. a lot of what he says in that, to me, mm -hmm. is so true. It rings true, yeah. Because you know what? Look. In order to keep America safe, people have to die. That's it. Whether you want to believe it or whether you don't. Okay? That's it. Right? So, you can sleep well at night, and you can be protected, and you can have everything you want, you can live free, mm -hmm. and do everything you want, but there's a reason why you got it, okay? If you don't want to understand, or you don't think, or understand why some of these things got to happen, well, then maybe you ought to find out what happens if we don't, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what he's saying. And you're going to have people that, 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 that you know that are way, way on a certain side of the fence, they're going to go, oh, no, no. Well, guess what? You know what? You never know <laughs> unless it doesn't happen because it's been going on for a long, long time. So you telling, telling me or anybody else that it didn't work is only you hoping. <laughs> so that's, that's, my, that's Bill's five minutes. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I mean, I think the one thing here, though, is that this is potentially the the most significant hour or couple of hours yeah. of um, military and and um, international politic decision making in in, in our in, in, you know for a hundred years you know of our nation's history. It's like the the most important moment. And all McNamara is saying is the president needs to be involved in this decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy's saying, like, no, we're going to handle yeah, it, go even back, though it's yeah. the most important. It's like, hey, look, we get our hands dirty. 
Mm. Your hands aren't dirty. Your mm. hands will never be dirty. So who are you to tell me mm -hmm. what should be done or what shouldn't be done? Yeah, so and this is an interesting thing because I always hear like, you know, in the military, you've mentioned many times that in the military you're always told, okay, well, you just do what you're told to do. That's it. That's, you know, that's chain of command. Yeah. But the president is the end of the chain of command. So is you, it... You can't jump, you can't jump that chain of command. You, you, you need to, and, and that's why, that's how they kind of get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, a, a, a two-striper has to talk to another non-commissioned officer mm -hmm. and not get what they need before they go to the next person. And that can take an awful long damn time. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been people, look through history, that have gone and jumped that chain of command mm -hmm. and paid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what I mean by that is, it's not a, well... Military has their own rules. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so essentially, he really isn't answering to the president. No, he's answering to the guy just right above him. There you go. Whoever's the next person in line, that's there your. There you go. That's your god. There's no, there's no such thing as a general being the number one tell-all, do-all. Okay. And if you know anything about the real people that run this, this world, this country. <laughs> but if a general tells you to do something, you have to do. Oh it. yeah, that's it. That's it. General tells you to do something, you but, do it. But that being said, you're saying like in terms of the people that they really revere and serve, yeah. it's really the person just above them. Yeah, and, and and even if that person just above them isn't in the military at all, mm -hmm. they still have their marching orders. Yeah, Everybody's doing what they're told. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to be, you know, if they know what they're doing is wrong, they still have to do it because, well, if they don't, mm -hmm. they know what's going to happen. And they know it can happen because the people that are telling them to do it have all the power, man. And that's why so many people are just, okay, I'll do it. And they're afraid. Why? Because they threaten their family, they threaten their loved ones, they threaten their careers, they threaten... It's all about that. Mm -hmm. 